and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 163. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series' second season episodes, Cat's Paw, Eye Mud, and Metamorphosis. Here we go. Cat's Paw, Season 2, Episode 7, Production Code 030. Original air date, October 27, 1967. Directed by Joseph Pevney, written by Robert Block, music composed by Gerald Freed. Guest cast include Antoinette Bauer as Sylvia, Theo Marcus as Karab, Michael Barrier as Assistant Chief Engineer DeSalle, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Jimmy Jones as Crewman Jackson, Rhody Cogan as First Witch, Gail Bonney as Second Witch, Mary Esther Denver as Third Witch, and John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle. The Enterprise explores the apparently lifeless planet Pariah 7. Chief Engineer Scott, Lieutenant Sulu, and crew member Jackson are sent down to explore the surface. The ship soon loses contact with Scott and Sulu. Jackson is transported back to the ship but falls from the platform dead. His lifeless body emits an eerie voice telling Captain Kirk that the Enterprise is cursed and must leave the planet immediately or everyone will die. In the mythology of your race, this is called sympathetic magic. Jackson, the crew member who returned to the ship, you wondered what killed him. I made an image of him. In the essence of my thoughts, the image was Jackson. And when I killed the image, and knew that it was dead. He died. Cat's Paw. Here we have what I believe, to date anyway, is still the only holiday-themed episode of Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a joke, but it's true, right? This was actually made and uh, aired the week of Halloween, what, 67, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and they haven't done that. Now, maybe, you know, maybe we'll get like a Valentine's Day, Star Trek Discovery, or, <laughs> or no, St. Patty's Day. That'd be better. Let's, let's, let's hope for that. But um, as of now, Cat's Paw is the only holiday themed Star Trek episode. Maybe there's a reason for that. Well, you know, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold that against it. I have a feeling that this was probably fun to watch Halloween 1967, although I've never tried watching it. Like in a modern Halloween, uh, Adam, what do you think of Cat's Paw? Um, it's got some. I'll start with positives. It's got some fun visuals, interesting visuals. You know, you get the, you know, the the cat, the large cat. You know, you got the witches. Um, um, it's it's mildly entertaining. It's an interesting visual episode. Um, I. I can't say that it's a good episode um but it's mildly entertaining it's got some moments for sure um i don't really know what it's about i guess we'll get into that later in the show it's interesting they they literally use the word halloween yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there's a moment when kirk is walking through the hallway and he says that oh. and like i was i was thinking about again this is this was specifically produced to air during the week of halloween it is a holiday themed episode star trek generations is not christmas themed but it has all those Christmas moments uh, in the Nexus, like for Picard and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they actually say the word Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, I don't recall that. I don't think they do. They even um, say trick or treat in this episode. They do. They say that f- first, maybe. Yes. Um, I, I I don't know. That seems notable to me somehow uh, that they actually use the word Halloween here. 
I guess they still have Halloween then. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Maybe it's gone global, right? <laughs> um, Steve, what do you think of Halloween, actually? What do you think of Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this episode, I always I always remember it because of it being, like you said, it's, it's a it's a themed ho- holiday episode and it's definitely Halloween and all that kind of stuff. And so it's one of these that I don't think it's, I don't think it's very good, nor do I think it's awful. Um, I think it's kind of just, I basically chalk it up to like kind of campy, good fun or something. You know what I mean? It, it's silly. There's all sorts of goofy things, but it's one of those that it's, you know, if you were having a themed evening, I guess, and playing old stuff and on a, Halloween or whatever that'd be the perfect thing to play and it's it's kind of fun in that way um so I, I guess I don't mind it I guess I just kind of see I've always seen this episode in that in that way you know like, like just kind of a campy 60s fun thing even though it is Trek and you know I don't know I, I like the uh the actress that plays the cat lady <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. she's she's interesting and she's she's different I think than I mean, all, all the women in this show, they, they get, of course, they're beautiful and they dress them with beautiful clothes and sexy clothes and things. But, I, you know, I think that she's a little bit more, I don't know, almost adult, I guess. So many of the of the, the women they put opposite Kirk are clearly younger. Uh, somehow she seems a little bit more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I think the way she plays it is kind of interesting. She's not... She's she seems intelligent and she's never over the top. Um, I actually really like the funny little creatures they actually are at the end. The little weirdly photographed puppet thing. Yeah, I always remembered that somehow. I think I remember that better than anything else in the episode. Sure, it, it feels like something like not even out of Star Trek. It feels like uh, lost in space or maybe a scary. If it was a scary version. You know, like Twilight Zone or something. You know, um, feels more like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in Star Trek. There's not really anything in the episode that's. I, I what holds the episode back for me? You know, fine, you could do a holiday themed episode, but I, I I don't think that has anything to do with why I don't care for it. I think it's more because it never really knows what it's trying to do. It's just mm-hmm. like a series of fun images or one-liners. I don't mean actual lines i mean like as far as you know oh witches and black cats you know there's just just a grab bag of all these things for example there's a i don't know there's when we when the cat first changes into the woman you know that one of the i think it's that scene but you start you get to a point where you're wondering like well, well why why did they kidnap right. people and to bring kirk and them down there and and uh you know why did they use was it scotty and sulu as the cat's paws and she says she says something like um you will tell us what we want to know or something like that i'm like but but what is it she wants to know what is it they're trying to do yeah that i never understood that i never understand that the whole time and then they're suddenly you know they got the little voodoo enterprise i was you know i remember that that's i like seeing it in the little the lucite there looks like soap though i think i actually had a next gen like a enterprise e from first contact or something that was in soap like that and as you used it, you got down to the toy part. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. I never feel like there's much of a story. I never feel like they know what they're doing or why they're doing it. 
I guess is really what I'm saying. Why they're doing it, they don't seem to know. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, it's never really fleshed out all that well. You know, even the relationship between the, um, I guess we'll call him the wizard with the wand, and her. Yeah, what their kind of like their purpose or their mission is to. And what their other species are. They talk about the others a little bit, but there's just nothing. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of allusions to a history that you never really get and why it's even brought up. You know, it's like you bring up all this stuff, but then don't do anything with it. And it ends up just being, despite all that stuff, I like I said, I still just see this as mostly just a, the, the camp silly crap with, you know, black cats and uh, skeletons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, all that stuff kind of just goes to the wayside. Why bring it up if you're not going to use it, you know? And it only gets really serious when you get the impression that these uh, these aliens maybe are starving for some kind of uh, emotional context of some nature and, and, you know, being in physical bodies gives that to them. That's really the only thing that gets any, any seriousness at all. Yeah, Kirk seems to kind of uh, defeat her with his manniness. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, no, that that happens very fast, and also you, you gotta assume like every other person has had that same one-on-one with her, but not been able to do that. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if I was one of the other people reading that script, they'd be like, every time. I mean, really, I think I got nothing. <laughs> you know, really, Kirk again. Um, poor, poor McCoy he didn't come off too well on this episode. Mm-mm. And he got beat up. There's some decent humor that the Spock's comment about the witch's very bad poetry, and Kirk says <laughs> a more useful comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes me chuckle. What's this episode about? Um, kind of the only thing that I could come up with is um, power corrupts absolutely, I guess. You know, Kirk, Kirk, I think, says what may be to him the greatest insult he can make, which is, I don't know what you are, but you're not a woman. <laughs> that seemed pretty mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what, I think that's what's difficult about this is why it's not so, not so hot maybe is because it is hard to nail down the, the point. You know, they are trying to say that the power gets to her head, but you also have this idea of their, uh, you know, she's trying to reach for something that she's never had and achieve something. Um, but what does it say that you, you, you can't have something if you weren't born with it or, um, you know, if you're treating people badly, you're not going to get what you want or I, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's just such a mixed mess that, um, it's, it's hard for me to nail down a specific, a specific theme here, a moral or the story or whatever. All right. So, eh, kind of a not so great episode with a couple of decent moments. And I will say, it's worth something that we all seem to remember this episode. You know, if they're going to use cliched images, these were good ones, apparently, because we all freaking remember it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you were just going to, if you were going to put this one as far as, like, visual, visually, it would be a good episode if you were just basing it on that, <laughs> on that alone. Yeah, the soap alone, actually. And if you needed to shower, this would be the episode, too. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's do six degrees for cat's paw. Um, Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Michael Barrier plays Vincent de Salle for the third and final time. His first time was in the Squire of Gothos, where he was part of the landing party investigating what alien character? 
um, alien character. What was the, what was the guy's name in Squire of Gothos? The Squire of God was he? Mm. Character name. Terran or Terrain or something? Oh, your Terrain is so close. I'm. It's close enough that I'm gonna give you another second here. Um, Terrian. No. I don't know. That's so. It's not close enough to get a point, but well, Steve probably already knew it anyway. Steve. <laughs> Trelane. Yes, Trelane. Uh, the second time Barrier played Dassal was in This Side of Paradise when he, like the other members of the crew, became a schmo after getting exposed to what? Oh, the uh, spores on the planet? Yes, sir. The spores. Steve has two. We are moving on. <laughs> I Mud, Season 2, Episode 8, Production Code 041. Original air date, November 3rd, 1967. Directed by Mark Daniels, written by Stephen Candle and David Gerald. Music composed by Samuel Metlofsky. Guest cast include Roger C. Carmel as Harry Mud, Richard Tatro as Norman, Alice and Ray Andrius as Alice, Kay Elliott as Stella Mudd, Michael Zaslow as Jordan, Mike Howden as Lieutenant Rowe, Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley, and Bob Orison as First Engineer. <laughs> The Starship Enterprise is hijacked by an android, who has been posing as Lieutenant Norman, a recently assigned crew member. The android seals off engineering and redirects the ship to an unknown planet, and any attempt to undo his tampering will likely destroy the ship. When they arrive at the planet, it is discovered to be populated with other androids, and apparently ruled by Harold Fenton Mudd, an outlaw whom Kirk has encountered before then I am unable to discern your problem. They won't let me go. They want to study me. They want to learn more about human beings. They picked a fine representative. Watch your tongue, lad. You're talking about Mud the First. Well, anyway, I ran out of ideas. I simply ran out of things for them to do. You know, the, the fun thing about this episode that for me has always been that this, since this is like the only time, uh, you know, a character got brought back. Mm-hmm. And Kirk even has a couple of lines about the last time we saw you on the mining planet or whatever. You know, he's actually referencing a specific earlier episode, yeah. <laughs> which is so unusual and feels so weird, but it's like you so want that, of course. And I mean, I totally, under- I've always understood why they didn't do that in the 60s and why Gene was against it then. But, to modern TV people like us, uh, that's pretty awesome. And that, that's always been the thing I enjoy the most. Somebody, I think it was on one of the websites somebody pointed out because uh, Chekhov has a line to Kirk about, you know, who is this guy or do you know this guy, something mm-hmm. like that. That tells you that he came, he did, he must have come on the ship after the previous <laughs> episode with Harry Mudd, but because of Star Trek Two, we know he was there before Yes. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have kind of an idea about when he, uh, he was on up. leave. He was, he was on leave during right. the. Um... Oh, okay, okay. So it's just, anyway, I, I just, I, there's just this tiny little bit of actual living, breathing Star Trek universe history in here, and that's what makes it the most fun for me. And honestly, even the uh, animated series episode he comes back for, uh, I, I always felt kind of the same way about it. But mm-hmm. that isn't really much mud got mentioned in into darkness too didn't he wasn't that yes did they actually say the mud mission i mean i think so well the character was mentioned i don't know if it was yeah well 
it was because in the comics they explain how they get that that shuttle or little ship that they use to go to Konos. Hmm. Something about this. And there's the, that storyline is in the comics, when, and you see Harry Mudd, and that's how they end up with that, that ship. But it's just you can barely even hear it. It's like you know you you don't even see the person say it. I think it's Sulu over the intercom or something. Anyway, uh, so but even talking about the history, Star Trek universe history in this episode doesn't really have much to do with what the episode is. So, uh, Steve, why don't you start us for? Um, I mud. You know, on the on the most part, I think this is just goofy and stuff. But you know what I actually enjoy the most part of this episode is the uh, early stuff before they even go down to that planet. I like the, how it opens with the Spock and McCoy exchange, and it feels very natural. And they're they're little going back and forth, and the the beads and rattles or whatever he says about McCoy and someone being naturally not wanting to go take their exam with him or something. And I love that moment at the beginning because McCoy says something that almost could be offensive and it's so clear that he feels bad about it and, and it's like, oh, well, and he likes, he basically apologizes because yeah. Spock is his friend. Okay, I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I also kind of like the, uh, just everything, you know, just to, to some extent, I like, the, I like uh, the leading up to, you know, when the guy takes over the ship and all that, and how uh, on the bridge, you see a lot of different uh, unusual angles you don't really see. For some reason, the bridge is often not shot from that side, and so the whole thing feels a little, I don't know, it feels fresher than most of the bridge scenes for some reason. And I, so I like that. Um, and then as it um, and they actually say something like the planet's a type K planet and they explain what that means and so it feels like they're you know it feels like this episode in so many ways because you already addressed you know mud being back and this kind of stuff too it feels like they're trying to be Star Trek and there's continuity and it's and it feels like in that universe and not just you know like sometimes you feel like they're just writing a story and these characters have to be doing it and if you know the actors are the ones that pull off consistent characterizations but this one feels like you know the, the writing is like for at least the main three are trying to be um actually cons- consistent and so forth but then i mean and then it gets it gets pretty much silly when they go down there and all the twins and the uh, that just goes on and on and on and on, and on. but anyway that, that's that's kind of my take on this what i what i find interesting about it you know the the original drafts of this script they were on the enterprise far longer i think they didn't get down to the planet until closer to the third act. Hmm. Adam, what are some of your first thoughts on I Mud? Um, you know what? I kind of agree with Steve about the first half of this episode. You know, a lot of the visuals, um, you know, with the android taking over the ship, I couldn't help but think about um, next gen, you know, when, when Data took over mm-hmm. the Enterprise at one one point when he went to go see his father. Um, just kind of gave me a little, few little flashbacks of that. Um... You know, it's in the second half, it's just fun, kind of goofy. It's kind of similar in that respect to Cat's Paul. There's, I mean, there's, it's it's just kind of fun and goofy. Um, it's not really about much of anything, you know, just kind of the androids who want to, you know, rule the, in a weird way, rule the universe. I mean, Mud's a fun character when we kind of, we've hit on all those notes that it's cool to have this, you know, the, you know, the Star Trek lore, you know, this returning character who's, kind of popped up here and there throughout the Star Trek, um, you know, timeline. Um, and it's, I did, I didn't dislike this episode. It's, it's entertaining. Um, there's a lot of holes in the end there. I like how like the whole crew is supposed to be on the planet, but you don't see anybody, but the, the original, the landing party. Right. Right. Um, 
I mean, you know, and then, you know, the whole, I guess they defeated the androids with, by being illogical. So it was kind of fun to see Spock be illogical on purpose. It was just kind of, um, it's just kind of funny. But he does it in a very logical way. Exactly. (laughs) Um, it's it's again the talking computers to death. It's a perfect example of talking computers to death, and it's the right. stupidest thing. Like, you know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> anyway, it, it's definitely a talking to computers to death thing, and uh, with the contradiction stuff. Oh, and the other thing I don't like is that um, it makes like er, pretty much everybody but Kirk and Spock look shallow and stuff because they seem to be content to just hang out there and you know and be right. cool with that kind of existence. So at least that's how they're trying to play it off, you know. Except for to... Harry Mudd, who apparently is very quickly uh, right, right. <laughs> tired of this yeah. life. I mean, you know, and his, the wife android was it was amusing, but you know, I said I, you know, I don't know if we'll struggle to find out what this episode was about, but. I hope that Star Trek Discovery, we get an entire episode to see the other side of Stella, because (laughs) I think this is really um, sexist and just uh, um, making a lot of unfair assumptions about Stella and making her seem seem very shallow. That'd be the... uh... Quite the the <laughs> the coup is to find out one of the main characters is Stella Mud. You know, <laughs> yeah, we were sure that the fans would really want to see uh, how Stella Mud got to where she was in I Mud. Yeah. That's that's the entire series. She's <laughs> <laughs> the main character. <laughs> Stella Mud. The, the very we we planned it out years in advance. The last shot is going to be. <laughs> Who knows? Um, what else? So, so I mean, I enjoyed the scenes with Kirk and Mud. I mean, they're bantering back and forth. Um, they do. They do have some good chemistry, and you know, and and Shatner is funny. Uh, there's there's one line when when they say he tells the the female androids, the Alice's maybe I don't remember. He tells yeah. them to leave, and they say, "Why don't you want to say?" And he says leave because we don't like you. hands. It bugs me only because I like, I wanted to, it's like an over the, over, kind of, no, it's not really an over the shoulder. It's wider than that. But the point is his back is to the camera. Sure. I kind of wanted to see him give that line. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been funnier, uh, but it just stays in the wide shot with his back the whole time. Uh, but then he, you know, he has the, uh, the, they have the, the little bit about everybody saying that they're in a lot of trouble. And then Shatner Kirk has his, and if you say we're in a lot of trouble, <laughs> well, we are. But um, so you know, it does have funny moments. If they're still making Star Trek 500 years from now, I have a feeling. Okay, but that's probably an exaggeration. But a, there, still, if you do an episode of Star Trek that is supposed to be more of a humorous one, it's going to get compared to Trouble with Tribbles. Right. Right. Now, I personally think looking for par. Parmach in all the wrong places is the funniest hour of Star Trek ever. But I think Trouble with Tribbles is the one that set the standard for not being like when I think about I Mud, if I think of it as eventually turning into a comedic episode, right? And those last few sequences where they're being silly, it's just so over the top and silly and nutty, you know? And then you compare that to just a genuinely funny episode like Trouble with Tribbles, it's still, it still feels like Star Trek in a way that this eventually does not for me. Yeah. The stuff in here that's funny 
are the things I mentioned earlier, and those are things that could have been in any episode. There's not much in all those end sequences when they're doing their silly dances and stuff that makes me laugh anymore. It's one of those episodes where they often, if, if they ever want to show goofy clips of stuff. Of the original series, and, yep, they show yeah, them dancing. You see, yeah, you, see, yeah. you see Scotty with the air violin mm-hmm. every, every time. Yep, every time. So as this episode... I often ask you guys if, if an episode has kind of changed for you as you've grown or over the years. This is one that I always, even when I was younger, you know, which, you know, seeing original series sporadically when I was a kid, fine, but not getting serious about it until I was in my late teens, early 20s. If we go back to that that moment, this has always been that cool episode where there's some Trek universe history where they bring the guy back that was in the other episode. So in that sense, this episode has not really changed for me. Is this one of those that that it seems is it too shallow to have changed? I guess is what I'm. You know, I don't know that I've, if I just wasn't as observant in the last viewing. You know, as I as I think I've mentioned before, it hasn't been all that long since I watched all these. Because uh, I mean, it's been certainly between five and ten years. Because whenever they came out on blue the the uh, latest on Blu-ray and all that, I watched them. But um, I, I think I think I always remember the silliness, but I didn't remember the. Uh, I mean, of course, I remember mud coming back, but beyond that, the some of the continuity things and some of the fun stuff we talked about at the beginning it didn't really stick with me or something. So in that sense, I I don't know. I, I guess I just was watching for more details than I did the last time I watched it or something. So I didn't remember those as that's those parts as well. Yeah, I mean, this is very much an episode that you don't really. I mean, there's not a lot of. I don't want to say there's not a lot of substance, but there's not really a lot of meaning behind the episode. It's very much just kind of a turn your brain off and, and enjoy it. If you're going to like it, that's the, the best way to do this episode. Um, I can't say, I can't, I mean, it's kind of the same to me. I don't, and, you know, it's kind of a goofy episode, so I can't say I like it or dislike it any more than when well, I Well, you're giving us a good transition then into what is this episode about? Um... Technology taking over our lives, I don't know. Trying to control us. It waits a long time. That's a that's an easy part to forget. There's a long time before we get that moment of the androids decide Mud's no longer in charge because they can do a better job. The humanity needs them. Right. Um, boy, there that's hubris because just a couple of people in a span of a few minutes can act silly and then they smoke and die. <laughs> They've been around what forever. Happened? <laughs> what would have happened to them if they'd actually encountered all of humanity? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Steve, do you have anything for what it's about? Uh, not really. I, I agree that they're trying to sh- do, do something like, you know, um, what Adam alluded to with with the, the the fact that if they have too, a too rigid of a view on life and they... Uh, they they can't you can't just control everything and that, whatever but it's just i don't know it's 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 kind of an old story and i don't think it's done particularly well and and like and it's yet it all just they squeeze it in toward the end and it's like the least interesting part of the whole episode <laughs> so I, you know i don't yeah i don't think it's very effective all right let's do 6 degrees for i mud i believe steve has two uh steve are you going first or second I'll go first. This is Roger Carmel's second appearance as Harry Mudd. Name the episode where he first played the character. Uh, Mudd's Women. Adam? 
Michael Zaslow plays Jordan, one of the Enterprise crew members Norman attacks at the beginning. He previously played Darnell at the beginning of the first season episode, The Man Trap. What day did that episode air? The Man Trap aired. I feel like I asked this once before. Boy, we've been doing this a while. I have problems. Sure, I've doubled up questions. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tend, let's face it, I tend to ask the things that I think are interesting. <laughs> Um, September 8th. All right. So Steve has three. Adam has one. We are moving on. Metamorphosis Season 2, Episode 9, Production Code 031. Original air date, November 10th, 1967. Directed by Ralph Sininski. Written by Gene L. Kuhn. Music composed by George Dunning. Guest cast includes Glenn Corbett as Zephram Cochran, Eleanor Donahue as Commissioner Nancy Hedford, Elizabeth Rogers as Voice of the Companion, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, and William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley. Federation Commissioner Nancy Hedford is being ferried to the Enterprise aboard the shuttlecraft Galileo. Hedford has a potentially fatal condition, Sirucco's disease, and needs immediate treatment aboard the Enterprise. En route, a strange glowing energy field appears in the shuttlecraft's path, disabling its systems. Kirk tries to contact the Enterprise for assistance, but all signals are blocked by the unknown phenomenon which now has total control of Galileo. The name of Zephram Cochran is revered throughout the known galaxy. Planets were named after him. Great universities, cities. Isn't your story a little improbable, Mr. Cochran? No, it's true. I was 87 years old when I came here. You say this companion found you and rejuvenated you? What were you doing in space at the age of 87? I was tired, Captain. I was going to die, and I wanted to die in space. That's all. Metamorphosis. I think recently I talked about how I was excited to watch this episode again because... Well, a minute ago I was talking about how, you know, I got when I got serious about the original series, late teens, early 20s, my uh, army days right after high school, this was my favorite episode for what feels like all of my 20s. And even when it slipped down years later, it was still like number two, number three, you know, and it's still like, it's probably in my top three. And, it, and maybe it's not so much because overall it's not quite as cohesive a work as some of the other incredible episodes of the original series but it's got some moments that I love so much it's got so much there's so many things I love about it I love I love all the technique in this episode the some of the best directing of the entire show just just composition selections but uh, uh, the music by the way is the the love theme in this episode is one of my favorite bits of music from the entire series but the, when I talk about the directing in this episode that I think is so good. You know, there's such a like a light hand whenever you've got stuff with Zephram Cochran and that and the companion when it comes over him. There's so many moments in this episode that are peaceful and, and it's so it feels so different from the other episodes. It has a couple of moments where there's like a tiny bit of action, like when they attempt to kill the companion um, and the companion hurts them and that stuff. That's when it feels a little bit more like some of the other episodes. But so many great things in this episode. Um, um, Adam, what, what, what do you think of Metamorphosis? Um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy this episode as well. Um, you know, um, you have an interesting contrast in this episode. You know, you were talking about that it's kind of this, this peaceful feeling about it. You know, the companion, the music, you know, um, Zephyr and Cochran's been here so long. But yet you have this um, 
you know, Kirk is in a, under, you know, is under time constraint, not, not just to get somewhere, but because of um, this commissioner's life is in jeopardy. They have, not only do they have to get off this planet for, for normal reasons to get back to their lives, but they have to get back specifically in time to save this woman's life. So it cr- creates a, um, it creates, you know, it moves the episode along. It gives it, um, it gives them, to me, it gives the episode its motion. Um, um, also, you know, I, I, you know, I love the idea you know, when I originally saw this episode years and years ago, you know, we you didn't have the the backs the the full story of Zephyrin Cochran, but you know, you have the again we have the kind of the Star Trek lore here, you know, of a of a returning character. You know, obviously later on he's played by James Cromwell, um, but this guy did a pretty good job. You know, he's the young Zephyrin, <laughs> obviously. So um, I love that start. You know, the you know a, a character again getting getting to find out who he is and his backstory and that all of that kind of things. Well, it's interesting, too, because we talk about how much I love this episode, but unlike so many of the episodes I normally love, this episode, it almost by the end kind of stars Zephyr Cochran and the companion, almost. I mean, there is a moment when they where they literally, you know, go for a walk, and then there's a scene that is just the two of them. There's no Kirk or Spock or McCoy in that scene. Our, our main characters almost take a back seat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's brief, but you know what I'm saying, um, and that makes it unique in for an episode that is still really really good. Because usually that's a bad thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Steve, how do you feel about Metamorphosis? Yeah, I, I like it. Um, um, I don't know where it would rank with as far as best episodes and all that, but I definitely think it's it's certainly one of the one of the best episodes in the original series, generally speaking. And uh, I, yeah, it does kind of it is kind of unique in the in the vibe it's got. I don't know really how to play the mood that exists. It's a very it's 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 it has a lot of stillness in a way. And I think you kind of alluded to like when the companion merges with Zephyr Cochran and this kind of um, you know he's he's very down home and and real and and um you know it's a it's a very abstract ethereal thing this relationship down there um they get you know they get a little silly with the uh gender stereotypes of a language and a you know a non-corporeal being and all this kind of stuff but um yeah it's it's got it's got something special that's it's that that's that's kind of unique amongst the original series episodes it's kind of hard to nail down but it's it's very it's it's uh it's it's very still and deep and um it's it's got this mood that's unique there's there's so many layers with Zephyrin Cochran's character in this episode mm-hmm. the companion is pretty consistent everybody else you know Kirk and crew they immediately see that the companion has has feelings for Zephyrin but Cochran he denies it he 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 denies that almost in that way that you deny it when it's true and you're really trying to <laughs> turn it off like no I didn't <laughs> you know? yeah yeah I don't, yeah I don't, you know he has to come to terms kind of with his own feelings in this episode in a, in a way that's very interesting for me and it's not a quick turnaround you know we get that extra scene I was talking about earlier with with just him and her so that he has a chance to really kind of come around, you know, and by the end, when he says, I'm, I'm choosing to stay here with her, that moment is really earned and believable, which is pretty amazing considering where he was on this topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. The first time it suggested to him that the companion is behaving with him like a, like a lover. And, you know, of course, he's effectively denying that he 
could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of a fascinating journey. I mean, you know, you, you could easily accuse like Star Trek First Contact of just like taking the name, making a whole new character out of it and all this kind of stuff too. But if you imagine the journey of this character and the way he is portrayed in Star Trek First Contact and then the next time we see him really is in a recording in Enterprise and then you imagine that, you know, what? okay, what if you were marooned and brought back and, you know, to an earlier age and left there alone and had this kind of... Um, this uh, this symbiotic relationship with this non-corporeal being and then brought to this place where he's wanting to stay uh, for this other, you know, because he, he's fallen in love with this other person slash being and, you know, it, it's, it's really a, a fascinating journey for a character, you know. I once watched, I once watched Metamorphosis immediately... Uh, followed by first, or no, the other way around. I think I did first contact, followed by metamorphosis. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and yeah, there's their characters so and so incredibly different. The, yeah. But there's what that one thing. There was just that one thing that does hold over, and that's, you know, there is a sense that he doesn't like the spotlight. He doesn't like people in that mm-hmm. way. And Zephyr Cochran talks about in this episode, you know, that one he says he left. Because he, you know, he wanted to go off and and die in space and didn't want any, you know. And then there's another, there's another, you know, not around all these people. And then there's another moment when near the end when Kirk says, you know, the galaxy is waiting to celebrate you or something. And it's very clear he doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. He has no interest in that. You know, that, so that's, that's like the one thing <laughs> that was consistent. Um, but it is a specific thing, so. I was going to say, if I had one um, issue with this episode, it would be the um, Nancy Hedford character. Um, I don't know. I just, you know, she wasn't really, I mean, obviously she's sick through the whole whole episode, and she's kind of moody and grouchy. Um, but towards the end, I didn't feel, you know, the, you know the, the premise of the episode is the, you know, the companion and her were joined. But I didn't get that, I didn't get that sense. Um the end of the episode it was kind of like her character was just kind of cast aside so if i had any issue with that with this episode it would be that it's like um it just kind of seemed like a simple not a simple thing but just seemed like a quick thing to kind of throw in there earlier i talked about the overall this isn't as cohesive or you know it has moments that are wildly out of whack uh i think that the, her initial reaction when they get to z's house near the beginning is silly you know she's yeah right yeah it's way over the top um and then i think you could make more of a narrative argument about how it's not fair what happens to her even if she says and you get a little bit of the sense that she and the companion agreed to this before you know it's not like the companion just invaded her but even if even if that's the case still it's the companion's fault that she's there dying anyway right Mm -hmm. right because she would have been Apparently, it would have been very easy to uh, rid her of this disease in sick bay on the Enterprise, which is where they were originally headed. Um, so it isn't fair what happens to her at all. But and and that is kind of just blown over. You know, because obviously the companions, the the dominant, if <laughs> the dominant personality in her now towards the end. But that's the only kind of complaint I had about this episode is they could have done could have done a better job with her character, maybe. Maybe there could have been at least some interactions between her and um, Cochrane that could have just, you know, maybe 
could have liked her because there was no interaction between those two characters up until the end. That's true. That's a good point. The one thing I got to point out is how much I love that scene that's just the two of them near the end. And she kind of holds up her little dress and she, and she's looking through it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it totally looks just like, you know, yeah, the effect that's on him whenever they're communicating earlier when she was the non-corporeal entity. That was such an awesome little moment. I always thought that was like scripted, but it actually wasn't. It was just a... You know, something on set where the director was like, oh my God, look at that, look at her dress, you know? So that that's a beautiful, awesome, super cool moment for me. What's this episode about? I would go with, um, well, I mean, it's a love story, first and foremost. Um, and it's it's a unique love story and because, you know, it's not a love story with any of our main characters. Um, so, I mean, I think we've said this a couple of times in the original series, you know, where we've had episodes that aren't specifically... Um, um, about our our main characters, but we still find them to be really good good episodes. Um, so like yeah, this is a love story between um, Cochrane and the companion and the development and realization of that um, that relationship. I think it's kind of yeah, and I think it's kind of like the um, that characteristic of falling in love that's the the spontaneous part that it's so difficult, it's almost impossible to plan it and and it often is it so often happens when you're not looking for it i mean and these and these characters you know and, and you know it may be on a subconscious level but zephram cochran seems to be kind of blindsided by the fact wait a minute what are you alluding to i'm romantically involved with the companion you know he's kind of taken aback by that notion and you have nancy hedford who you know she's all business has has which you know she's she was looking to you know do something uh, this this diplomatic mission and that was her priority. And then this this illness happened to her, and one thing led to another, and that's not what she would have chosen. Yet you know all of this kind of fell in place. And I don't know. For me, there there's a lot of that kind of um, you know the 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 kismet, the spontaneity of of falling in love and and how that works out, and and also the the sacrifice of it. You know the and when and when it's real the sacrifice doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It feels like the natural thing you want to do for somebody else. Awesome. So yeah, I still really love this episode. I think it's beautiful. Let's do six degrees for metamorphosis. Uh, Adam, you basically answered this question. So I'm just, it's a gimme. Name the other actor that played Zephyr Cochran. Um, James Cromwell. Yes. And Steve, you practically answered this other one. <laughs> Name the episode in which we saw James Cromwell play Zephram Cochran. A broken Bow. Yes, sir. So, 5-2? Something like that? I guess that means that's like the highest score in a long time. My questions were far too easy. <laughs> Folks, I will make up for that next time. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love Metamorphosis. I, I love watching it. I love watching it so much. Fantastic episode for me. Okay, folks, so thank you for spending an hour with us. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. We are very grateful to have you as listeners, and thank you. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys.
fun. I passed it.